Bonjour! Welcome to Movie Culture! Today we are talking about Ratatouille. Ratatouille was released in 2007 and is Pixar's eighth feature film. The movie was written and directed by Brad Bird. If you haven't seen the movie, or if it's been a while, here is a quick synopsis. And if you have seen it, we will put timestamps in the show notes so you can skip to the discussion. The movie follows a rat, Remy, who yearns to be a chef. His colony lives in an old house, but the owner exterminates them when she sees Remy searching her kitchen for spices. The rats flee, and Remy is separated from his family, but ends up in Paris near the restaurant of recently deceased famous chef Auguste Gusteau, who has the famous catchphrase, anyone can cook. Remy falls into the kitchen, and before he escapes, he fixes a soup that's been ruined by the garbage boy, Linguini. Linguini catches Remy, and they realize in order to cook in the restaurant, they need each other. Remy learns to control Linguini like a marionette by hiding under his chef's hat, and together they cook delicious food and revive the restaurant. The head chef, however, is suspicious but Remy finds out that Linguini is Gusteau's long-lost son and heir to the restaurant. Linguini becomes head chef and begins a romance with Colette, another chef. But in the good times, he starts to feel like he no longer needs Remy. He casts Remy aside, but things quickly take a turn for the worse, and they make up. But as Linguini apologizes and gives Remy the credit he deserves— The rest of the kitchen staff resign. The most feared critic in Paris is expected the next night, and the kitchen has no staff. Remy leads Linguini, Colette, and the fellow rats in the kitchen and cooks, what else? Ratatouille for the critic. The critic learns of Remy's nature and in his review, not only echoes Gusteau in saying that anyone can cook, but he also calls Remy nothing less than the finest chef in France. Ratatouille. Ah, Tay, what did you think? I liked this one. Yeah? Yeah. We'll start with what we like. I want to switch up the theme a little bit or switch up our outline a little bit this week in accordance with the restaurant theme of the movie. I think instead of starting with what we liked, let's this week call them our appetizers. Wow. Nice. The little, the small plates, not necessarily filling on their own, but the little things that happened that, you know, we liked or we didn't like, and then build up to the entree which is our theme. Wow, I love this. Immersive podcast. Exactly. So starting with the appetizers, you got one. What, what's the first thing you ordered, Tay? <laughs> okay, well, I actually liked a montage for once. Montage! <laughs> um, so when Linguini is first working at the restaurant, mm-hmm. Colette teaches him how to cook. And there's this whole montage of her giving him directions and... She's instructing him in all these different ways to do it. And I was surprised that I really like it because, as you know, I'm not a big montage fan. I don't think it's that you're not a montage fan. I think it's that, weirdly, I have become a big montage fan. 
And I don't know if this is like a bit that we're doing, but I think you just feel normally about montages. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, this montage was a little different. It is mm. dialogue. It served a purpose. It furthers the plot. This one also works because I felt like I was learning about cooking. <laughs> and there was a bit of tension at the same time mm -hmm. where she's giving him advice that we feel is counter to how he's actually supposed to be cooking. Specifically, she tells him, follow the recipe. But Gusto always said to add something surprising. Mm -hmm. We know that that's what he's supposed to be doing, but what Colette is telling him is actually counter to what he needs to do in order to truly cook and truly create art. This is such an interesting point and something that I think we're going to keep coming back through through this podcast because cooking has this interesting thing where it is both an art and a craft. And the first thing she says is he's, you know, chopping vegetables nice and slow and everything's perfect. And she says, no, 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 you're not mommy in the kitchen. This is not cooking for the love of it. This is cooking for a restaurant during rush hour. Everything perfect, everything fast. One thing that is really interesting is that in restaurants, cooking is not an art. Cooking is a craft. It's something to be done deliberately and expertly that you work on. And I think this question that permeates throughout this movie about art versus craft and who can create art, I think is really interesting. And I really love the way she sets it out right away in that montage. And also this occurs all the way through all the kitchen scenes of understanding, you know, what goes into making these delicious dishes and the intention that goes into them. Yeah, that was really cool. What else did you like? Again, on that note a little bit, I like food. <laughs> I like cooking. This is, you know, this is a hobby of mine when I'm not podcasting. I love to cook. And since I saw this movie, the way they talk about the symphonic combination of flavors is something that sticks with me. Like when I eat fruit and cheese, I have always thought of these scenes of the two melodies forming and coming up with something greater than the sum of its parts. The way they deify these great ingredients and, you know, have the have the fresh bread and the meats and the cheeses and the vegetables and everything. It looks so good. Sometimes when the movie is about something, but not really about something, they get that thing wrong. And this movie is not really about a restaurant. It's not really about food. But I love the way that they capture food and the artistry behind food and why food has such an emotional resonance with so many people. They capture it so well in this movie. I just, I really love that. And I feel like this is what we've come to love about Pixar is that they really do their research. Like, I'm sure that they researched kitchens and how chefs talk about food. Oh, yeah. And it comes through. And I love that you think about ratatouille when you eat cheese and fruit. That's very cute. I don't think I had realized that that's what I was doing, <laughs> but I now see that I've been doing this for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. Give me another one of your appetizers. I like the French atmosphere. I like that they're biking through the streets of Paris. <laughs> I, I like the music. I mean, we've never been to France. I'd imagine it's it's not exactly like Ratatouille, but... You can't see the Eiffel Tower out of every single window. Um, I'm not convinced. <laughs> That's how I picture France. <laughs> I love that in so many of the Pixar movies, you have a specific setting and they work to make the setting work for the movie. And all of a sudden, we're just in regular France. Seems great. It does seem great. 
What else did you like? Hit me with another small plate. <laughs> Look, there's a lot to talk about in this movie and a lot more deeper stuff, but there was just an unshakable feeling I had of other movies that this reminded me of. And I don't quite know how to say it, so let me ask it to you in a question. Tay. Yes. Is Ratatouille a gangster movie? <laughs> it definitely has those vibes with the rat mafia in a lot of places. There's the rat mafia. There are also some real tropes that I think are taken straight from Goodfellas. First with the first person narration, you know, definitely with the rat mafia. Also, the whole theme of rats is such a crucial one in gangster movies because of the, the role of the informant. Are you a uh, rat? Mm -hmm. Are you an informant? But the moment it really stood out to me was after things have started going well, right after the halfway point to maybe the three quarters of the way point, Remy gets overconfident. Up until then, they've been committing some small crimes, small heists, but no one's really gotten hurt. Yeah, everything's like going well. From the kitchen. Yeah. And now everything's going really well. The good times are rolling in. Everyone's making money. They're moving up on the world. Linguini gets a nice apartment. The whole family's eating nice food. And then there's tension and it splits the group apart and they lose everything. Just that pattern, good things working for people and they get greedy and they take too much and then they pull each other apart. I feel like that is straight out of Goodfellas. I couldn't shake this. Yeah, I think it's totally intentional in did, a very fun way. Did you notice any other parallels between the two tropes? I mean, his Remy's dad certainly sounds like he could be in mm -hmm. a gangster movie. Oh, yeah. And one more thing about the gangster trope. There is a lot of violence tied up with that trope, and some of it I don't mind. When they tie up the health inspector and the old chef and toss them into the walk-in freezer, that's clearly played for a joke. I think it's pretty funny. And it's it's comical because it's so far removed from possibility. It's just like a bunch of rats carrying a human, and then he's all tied up. And, and chucking they, him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, not removed from reality is Tay. They did it again. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking what about. What am I talking about? You're talking about car crashes. Again! I know, and I wouldn't have noticed it if we hadn't been talking about it in all the other movies. But it was just like, oh, another car crash again. So this is the eighth Pixar movie we've watched, right? Yeah. And have any of them not had car crashes? Probably Bugs Life, because there weren't cars. Uh, Bugs Life, there is a point where Flick gets the main city and he stops in the middle of the road that are just bugs like moving back and forth and a bunch crash into him at wow. once. Not a car crash specifically, but definitely meant to simulate that. Totally weird. There's one in both Toy Stories. There's one. There's I guess that Monsters one in Bugs Inc. Life. doesn't have. I don't know about Monsters Inc. But obviously there's one in Cars, there's this one in Ratatouille, and I think there's one in Finding Nemo at the end of the movie when the fish are crossing the street. We're somewhere between six out of the eight movies and all eight of the first eight Pixar movies having car crashes. It's wild. Weird bit. And what it might just be a lazy shorthand for consequences and chaos. Oh, that, that would make sense. Okay, I feel like this is the beginning of Car Crash Watch. Maybe, listener, you have thought that Car Crash Watch started way back at Toy Story 2. But now we, now yeah, we now, have to commit yeah, to now, this bit. Now we're doing the count. Yep. Okay, well, there's another dish I want to bring out, another appetizer that 
we bring out every time. Oh, no. And every time it's underwhelming. And that is uh, Pixar's treatment of women in these movies. And I see the waiter bringing out the dish. It's laid in front of you, Tay. And I'm like, I don't want the dish. Take it back. I've had this dish too many times and it's so gross. This time also? (laughs) This time also. So I didn't remember much of this movie. I forgot that there was a romance. Mm -hmm. Oh, innocent, naive me starting the movie tonight. (laughs) seeing this female character thinking, oh, but there's no romance in this movie. Wrong, Uh, wrong. Well, almost (laughs) right. There's nothing romantic. Yes, that's a good way to put it. The scene I think that we're specifically talking about is when Linguini and Colette first get together. When they first kiss. When they first kiss. So up until this point, I was not aware that anything romantic was happening. Well, there wasn't anything romantic happening. Right. Okay. So she's teaching him how to cook. Yeah. She doesn't seem to be happy to do this. He's kind of a burden. They're not, you know, flirting. They're not anything. They're just colleagues. They gain a mutual respect for each other, but nothing to, you know. Right. So she is leaving the restaurant. Linguini runs out after her. And stops her and is trying to explain how he is such a great cook. Mm -hmm. In this explanation, he confesses that he loves her, which was shocking to me and her. Yeah. (laughs) Because there is no indication of this. And he is saying, okay, I trust you. I'm going to tell you my secret. And Mm -hmm. he's getting closer and closer, closer to her. He's talking more chaotically. He's getting louder. We see her reach behind her back into her purse and pull out a can of mace because she is afraid. Yeah. I think that that moment is supposed to be a funny moment because he's being so scary that she has to reach for mace. But I mean, how horrifying they're in. They're in a parking lot. There's no one else around. Yeah. She's afraid that he's about to assault her. Yeah. And then he does assault her. (laughs) I'm sorry I laughed. It's horrible. It's just it's so it's shockingly bad. Yeah. To give full context, he is about to tell her that there is a small rat who's cooking on his behalf. And instead, Remy the rat pushes him so that he falls mouth first onto her. Right. So at first she is terrified, but then they keep kissing and there is a moment where she, she gets likes all dreamy. It. And oh, the kiss is good and she likes him. And then from that point on, they are dating. Not great. It's horrible. What a terrible message to send. Also worth pointing out that this is obviously without her consent. Yeah. It is also without his consent. Yeah. Because Remy is controlling him. He does not want to be kissing her. So it's just, it's terrible on every account. It's... I I hate this scene. And it felt like such a betrayal because it caught me by surprise. I was not expecting any bad romance. Up until this point, I was just thinking that, you know, they weren't doing that bad of a job with their female character. I agree. I really like the way at the beginning of the movie, Colette is so tough, is so uh, in charge, is a female supervisor for Linguini, is respected in the kitchen. I was really excited to see that play out. And yeah, that particular scene was really disappointing because a man who she does not know that well confronts her in an alleyway. She thinks she's going to get 
assaulted. She prepares herself with Mace. He kisses her. It is really a nightmare situation. Yep. And then it's just played as romance and they're together. Well, I suppose we'll send that dish back to the kitchen once again. (laughs) At least this time the dish looked like it might taste good. It came out. It smelled kind of good, and then you taste it. You taste it's it, and you're same. like, wait, it's, uh, I've, it's I've had this one. before. <sighs> it's sexism again. All right. Next dish, please. Well, this next one, this next one I'll say I really liked. And now I think we're reaching the end of our appetizers. But to me, this might be the best one. And I'm feeling a little weird about the metaphor now, because to me... The final appetizer is Remy the Rat. Oh, yikes. (laughs) I'm not a fan. I don't know what happened with the metaphor. It was so good. It was good. Okay. I want to talk about Remy. I love Remy. I think Remy's great. Let's talk about Remy. So I want to talk about more service level stuff. And then I want to get into Remy's character. Oh, let's do it. First of all, Remy is so cute. I love Remy. There's, you know, there's been a lot of critique about some of the scenes with the rats, and it's gross. And yes, it's gross. It's gross to see rats scurrying around a kitchen. Sure. Yeah, we agree. But Remy, by himself, is really cute. I like his little expressions. I like that everything is Remy-sized. I love that Mm -hmm. Linguini gives Remy a little bed, and (laughs) Remy makes himself a little tiny omelet. Basically, anytime Remy made himself some kind of small version of a human thing, like, yeah, it won me over. I am totally predictable. You really love when Pixar makes a character cute and that makes you like the character in a substantial way. Yes. And is it the most sophisticated critique? No. But use every tool in your toolbox. Also, the movie doesn't work if you don't like Remy and you don't like Remy if Remy looks like a weirdo rat yes he has to be cute for the movie to work i mean i think the fact that he is cute does a lot because i didn't love remy's actual character Mm -hmm. at all points so how did you feel about remy as a character remy's just a boy who wants to cook i'm all (laughs) okay so you related i related um i think that remy's got some real flaws in the beginning of the movie that he starts to work through I also, to be honest, found some of these flaws a little relatable. Mm. Look, I'm a food snob in some ways. Obviously not to the extent that Remy is. I don't call what other people eat garbage. But Remy does walk around thinking that he is special and different than everyone else. And I found that to be a little difficult with him. But also, I think that was balanced out by it's not like other people in the rat colony we see having better jobs, it does seem like he is more advanced than them. So I think that is something that is a little troubling, but I didn't specifically mind. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of Remy's characterization, both the stuff that I liked, but also the problems that I have really Mm. relate to the themes on a broader scale of the movie. Okay. So maybe it's time to get into our main course. Yeah, let's bring them out theme first up so i think this movie has one very big clear theme and then it has a lot of sub themes that kind of tie into this Mm -hmm. so i think it would be helpful to start with the smaller themes and then build up to 
what the movie is saying in the one sentence nutshell theme. Yeah. So I think that the first theme that the movie really brings out is the conflict between family expectations and Mm -hmm. career and passion. Remy is not like the other rats. Hashtag not like other rats. Mm -hmm. And he really loves the joy and the the art of food. And they just want to eat trash. And Remy is extremely offended by this. Mm -hmm. And his father especially mocks him for being a total snob, which... Uh, Kind of fair. And Remy throughout the movie is feeling this conflict between what his family wants from him. At the very beginning of the movie, he introduces us to his brother and father by saying his brother is too easily impressed and nothing impresses his father, setting up his arc as he's a rat who just wants to make his dad proud. Right. And his dad is in charge of all of the other rats. So Mm -hmm. Remy, in addition to feeling these obligations to his father, feels obligations to the whole rat colony. He's the godfather Mm. of the colony. (laughs) Yes. One thing about this, I will say, sometimes it's a gangster movie. Really, whenever the family's around, it's a gangster movie. And then other times it's not. This switches on and off. It's not a consistent run through the movie. So it doesn't necessarily build over the course of the whole movie. And actually, this is one thing I think follows in a lot of different parts of the movie. There are a lot of great threads, but they don't necessarily all come together Mm -hmm. at exactly the right moment. So I love the stuff about about it being a gangster movie, but that doesn't build to where the movie ultimately concludes. So it's a fun appetizer, but it doesn't make a meal. You know, I was thinking a lot about that, too, and I feel like that was really evident in the themes that this movie is juggling. Mm -hmm. It's doing a lot. And in some cases, it works. It brings up a lot of interesting questions, but they don't always come together. And I think that because they are trying to address so many different things, they don't necessarily always address one thing very well. I think that something that is really interesting now that we have talked about that, is the whole subplot about theft and stealing. Mm. This was something that I thought was a little bit messy just from this structural standpoint. Mm -hmm. Basically, the problem that Remy has, or the problem that he states in the beginning of the movie that he has with his rat colony, is that they always steal. That rats always take, but he wants to make something. And he's specifically really upset about the rats stealing garbage. His father argues that it's not stealing because someone threw it away. No one wanted it, so they can't be stealing. But Remy is pretty adamant that it is still theft, and he doesn't like that. Yeah. The problem with that is that Remy... And and this is something that I don't know if if it was intentional... It's something that didn't really land for me. Remy, from the very beginning, is also stealing. The whole inciting incident of the movie is when the woman at the house where the rats live chases all the rats out and they have to go into Paris. Mm -hmm. The reason that the woman chases them out is because she catches Remy trying to steal spices for his dish that he's trying to cook. Saffron specifically, which is a very expensive spice that this random woman in the French countryside (laughs) probably does not have that much of. Mm -hmm. Also, you know what, listener, 
I'm just going to tell you that I could go on a rant about the spice trade and colonialism as it was perpetrated through the spice trade, and we're not going to do that. But I want you to know that we could have. So we'll move on. Well, that's such a tease. Yeah. (laughs) Saffron's not from France. Okay. The way saffron arrived in France is because of, you know, genocide in Southeast Asia and... Mm -hmm. That's the way that we have food that tastes the way it does is because British people and Spanish people and Dutch people and French people marauded their way through India and Southeast Asia and just stole all these, you know, delicious things. That's honestly a great point, And I'm really glad that you said it. I will also say other things, especially herbs, herbs de Provence, uh, thyme, rosemary, oregano. A lot of that, I believe, is based in Europe, but... It depends on certain spices. Yeah. But yeah, so Remy is happily stealing when it is nice stuff, mm-hmm. but he is upset about stealing trash, which I agree with the dad. It's not stealing. Someone has literally thrown it out. Yeah. So I have a little bit of trouble with Remy's whole thing, which she says at multiple points of the movie about how rats are thieves, and he doesn't like that about rats. Mm-hmm. And... It's an internal conflict for him when he lets the rats into the kitchen and lets them steal the food. And that is fine. I think that Remy does have to have some kind of internal conflict about his roots and where he comes from because the movie is working with this idea about we are who we are and can we change our natures? And if he feels like the rat's nature is to steal, then he needs to work with that and figure out how to move away from that idea of himself so that he can be the the rat he wants to be. I also think it's a trope that can appear sometimes in gangster movies where once you've been called out as the villain, you're more likely to embrace that role. So Remy really lets his family in after Linguini has kicked him out. And He has this idea that, you know, if you think I'm so bad, then I guess I'll be bad. I'll show you what bad looks like. And he really doubles down on that. I think in a way that might reflect him reaching rock bottom, at least like the depths of where he reaches morally, that he understands he's doing a bad thing, but does it to prove a point. And I think that's true. The thing that I'm saying, I don't think that worked Yeah, is because one of the first scenes that we see of Remy, we see him stealing and we that is coded as positive because that is how he pursues his art. Yeah. And because he has always done this and it has seemed, based on what the movie shows us, to be genuinely a good thing for him and we want him to pursue his art. When he leans into that further in his rock bottom, it doesn't feel as emotionally satisfying. It doesn't feel like, oh, Remy, how could you? Yeah. And I like what the movie has to say about how we can change our natures and change where we came from. And Mm -hmm. we don't have to be defined by our stereotypes. But I think that it would have been a little bit more satisfying to see Remy as who he is, who he believes he can be, and who he wants to be, 
fighting against the stereotypes that are put on him. Mm -hmm. And that he behaves in a certain way at points because of the stereotypes that are put on him. Mm -hmm. If he believes his nature is something negative and immoral, like uh, being a thief. Yeah. If the movie is going down the path of saying that the nature of rats is inherently immoral in Mm -hmm. some way, then I think that that needs to be shown as something that is put on to the rats as an expectation Mm -hmm. that they then adopt as something inherent to them. Yeah. And we have to see that that is not, in fact, something that is inherent to Remy, even if he believes that it is. Which means that the first scene, we can't see him stealing, and that's a good thing, and he doesn't recognize it as theft. I will say, just not so we don't forget it, the biggest example of Remy stealing in the movie is not food at all. It's when he steals a book. He steals a woman's book that's on her counter. Yeah. So I think because of all that, I I struggled a little with the stealing subplot. Mm-hmm. I felt like also... There were two competing ideas that that maybe uh, were related about mm-hmm. why why Remy wanted to move away from the rats and didn't feel like a rat. And that was the stealing idea that rats inherently are thieves and just the idea that rats are gross because we see a lot of times during the movie that humans will see a rat and they'll scream and then they'll say rats are disgusting and Remy will kind of look at himself in a puddle or something and then think, Oh, am I disgusting? Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like maybe the movie might have been a little bit more cohesive if it had just followed the idea that rats are disgusting as the reason that Remy feels Mm -hmm. ashamed. I think it would have made a lot of sense that that is why he's embarrassed that his family is eating garbage. It's not that he thinks that they're stealing because that doesn't make sense with his own actions. Mm-hmm. It's that he's he's embarrassed about the garbage and he's a food snob and he wants to be sophisticated, but his family yeah. isn't. And if he's consistently feeling ashamed of his background and his roots. If it's a class story. If it's a class story, then that scene at the very end when the critic asks what do you dare serve the highest critic in Paris? And the mm-hmm. dish that Remy chooses is ratatouille. And they say, ratatouille is a peasant dish. Are you sure? Yeah. And Remy is sure. That carries a lot more weight of Remy accepting his roots and embracing his roots. And mm-hmm. then the critic and and the customers also Embracing that and recognizing that that is not, in fact, beneath them at all. Yeah. I think that that through line is is so much stronger than Remy oh, having really this, this kind of like messy idea about that rats are thieves and all of that. Mm-hmm. I think this is why this movie, and I love the word you said, cohesive, that I really enjoyed watching this movie. It tasted great, but... It left me a little hungry afterwards. Mm. It wasn't necessarily filling. You know, what you see in the movie is so great. But a lot of these ideas are a little half-baked. They're here and they're there, but they don't run all the way through. Yes. And it's the movie has a problem because it's juggling so many different ideas. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have the time to really fully develop one. Yeah. 
one area that I think this is true, and we can just touch on this briefly, is Remy's relationship with his father. At the beginning of the movie, Remy just says, my father's not impressed by anything, implying that one of the things he wants is for his father to be impressed with him. And by the end of the movie, his father is impressed with him, and that's great. But that no longer matters to Remy, because at the halfway point, he sort of has a falling out where his father says, you know, we're just rats. Rats and humans are enemies. This is the way it always is. And Remy says it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And that that is the end point of that arc. Remy is seeking his father's approval and then no longer seeks his father's approval because he feels like he has understood the truth on his own. So it's nice when he gets it. It's nice when he gets it at the end, but he's no longer craving it. Another example is when Remy at the beginning of the movie wants to be a cook and then gets to be a cook. And by the halfway point, he's working in a restaurant and he is a cook. And these things that are established as wants are solved pretty early. And we already know the answers to some of the questions of the movie. So instead of being on this long emotional ride as we're learning and thinking through the themes the entire time, it, that feels choppy. Yeah, and it's really great when a movie will satisfy a surface-level want early on. The thing that is the character's goal in their head, it becomes satisfied mm -hmm. a third of the way through, halfway, two-thirds. If the rest of the movie then works on a, an established, deeper need. Mm -hmm. And Remy's deeper need was there, but it it was a little bit disjointed. In this case, it feels like the movie was so interested in what Remy wanted that when he got it in the middle of the movie, it didn't feel like there was enough depth to propel it to the end of the movie. Yeah. Well, so those are all the the sub themes. I want I really want to get to the big overarching theme. Because this is the one that does move through the entire movie from the very beginning to the very end. Yes. And this is the whole idea behind art and art criticism and specifically the line, anyone can be a chef. Or as Anton Ego, the, the critic in the movie, says at the very end of the movie, not anyone can be a great artist, but great art can come from anywhere. And I think that I just want to insert here his whole little monologue at the end about criticism and what that means, because I think it is so interesting. Mm -hmm. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. The new needs friends. 
Last night I experienced something new. An extraordinary meal from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the meal and its maker have challenged my preconceptions about fine cooking is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, Anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusto's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. I will be returning to Gusto's soon, hungry for more. So, of course, I have thoughts and feelings about the idea of criticism and art and where art comes from and who can be an artist. Mm -hmm. I think that in some ways, this thesis statement at the end of the movie is very beautiful and resonates. Uh, I don't totally agree with it. Wow, really? For, for a couple of reasons. I think that this movie is very uh, anti-critic when Anton is saying that critics thrive on negative criticism and that's because it's fun to write and it's fun to read. It clearly has a, a very antagonistic relationship with criticism. Brad Bird, the director, is almost daring critics to give his movie a negative review. Right. And I was thinking about this as I was watching it, is that it's a hard movie to critique because if you critique it, you're just being in Anton Ego living in a glorified coffin. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of brilliant <laughs> to write a movie that that automatically discredits negative critics. Also, this was the first movie that Brad Bird made since The Incredibles. Was The Incredibles negatively reviewed? Was Iron Giant negatively reviewed? I don't feel like Brad Bird is out here getting critics upset. Uh... I don't know. I. What are you doing, Brad? <laughs> Brad's fine. Brad's fine. They what's, like what's he, you. What's he salty about? Yeah. Um. So we were talking about this earlier. Just the idea of having this podcast, which analyzes structure of movies and is at times critical. And I do feel a lot of conflict about that because I am also a writer and I put stuff out there and I. I don't feel good criticizing other people's stories and art. And that's not something that I relish or want to be doing. So, so I kind of don't agree that critics thrive on negative criticism. Although I certainly understand where that is coming from. Because especially in the age of the internet, we know that negative reviews will get more attention. So I, I understand that. Media certainly thrives on negativity. Yes. I feel like it's important at this point to draw a slight distinction between criticism and being critical. Mm. Or a critique and being critical. That one is analyzing and understanding and trying to develop ideas and tease things out. And the other is 
is saying why you didn't like something. And I think there are lots of uh, critics who float between these two. And, you know, we call we call the people who do both of these things the same title and we put their pieces next to each other. So it's easy to confuse the two. And we certainly on this podcast are trying to critique, but not necessarily to be critical for for fun, for no mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. And this idea that criticism is less than art and is kind of parasitic to art, Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's healthy because I think criticism is very important. And the reason that we started this podcast is because stories are so powerful Mm -hmm. and they deliver really powerful messages at times so successfully that we don't even realize that a movie is delivering a message at all. Yeah. That can be really great. The messages can be really positive. They can also be very negative. And and we talk about this when movies are sexist or racist or just are building on these messages that I think negatively impact the viewer. So I think that criticism is important because it can do a good job of showing the way that stories are constructed and demystifying them in a way. And I think it's very useful because it shows us how to be more thoughtful about the media that we intake. Yeah. And I think that that kind of leads into the even bigger issue that I have with this speech at the end, which is that Ego specifically says that not everyone can be a great artist. I completely disagree with that. I think that that idea is really problematic. Mm -hmm. The idea that artists are just born with a gift. So many times in the movie, they refer to Remy's cooking as a gift. Mm -hmm. It's not a skill that he has worked hard on and learned. It is something that he was born with, something inherent to him. Mm -hmm. And when we buy into this myth that not everyone can be a great artist, but great art can come from anywhere, Mm -hmm. then the only thing that we have to do is just sit back and wait for art to pop up from wherever. Yeah. But that's totally wrong. If we buy into that myth, then that means that we do not have to support underserved communities. We don't have to serve people in those communities and give them education and foster these passions that they have. And I'll say this just because you won't. It also prevents us from appreciating artists who come up with incredible work because we say, oh, this just popped out of them. And we totally discredit all the work that goes into that art. You don't need to agree because you are a wonderful artist. So I understand that, you know, that would be a little self-serving maybe, but you know, we undervalue arts in the society. I think partially because of this idea that it's just a thing that happens and not something you have to continually push for and work for. Oh, I totally agree that, That is one of the reasons that art is undervalued. I think it's also important for me to say that I did have this education and these resources from birth, basically, 
Yeah. And I am very lucky to be in that position. And it's just so important to recognize that because yes, art can come from anywhere. Anyone can be an artist. But if we do not support communities and give them the stability and education and resources to build skill and in the arts, then it will continue to come primarily from wealthy spaces and spaces that have these resources. And especially when it comes to storytelling. It's a reinforcing cycle. Right. And it's, it means that the stories in our culture are so limited. Because we're only hearing the stories that come from people who have had these resources and that continues our cultural understanding that it's the people with resources who are able to tell stories and also that these are the things we value because the stories and the art that we have in society influences the values of our society. Yes. Also, this idea that great art can just come from anywhere is very passive. I mean, it's just waiting for great art to come to you. And, mm-hmm. and this idea that maybe something unexpected can just pop up when really we should be reframing our ideas of what art is, what it can look like, and we should be actively seeking it in new spaces and supporting art that does not look like the, the typical canon of what we've seen before. Yeah, that's really well said. Anyway, that's my soapbox. Now, I have a question because we agree that the underlying theme of the movie the whole time is who can create art, right? That's the question they're asking. And at the end, Anton Ego answers on behalf of the movie. Now, you disagree with him. And I I agree with you. I think that this is not necessarily the best understanding of where art comes from or what makes good art. But I found that theme during the movie to be captivating, mm-hmm. even though I disagree with it. And just to to redirect a little bit, I'm wondering what you think about how they argue this theme and how they convey it over the course of the movie, if they do it effectively, even though we, on principle, disagree with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that it is so effective to make Remy special and no one believes in him. Mm-hmm. We love to root for the underdog. So yeah. in structuring the movie this way, the film is setting us up to automatically root for Remy. Mm-hmm. I also like the idea that anyone can be an artist. That's that's something I agree with. And the movie puts a little asterisk on it at the end that, okay, not anyone can be an artist because maybe they're not born with a special artist gift. Mm-hmm. But the idea that anyone can be an artist, period, is something that I agree with and that I think, honestly, most people agree with. The movie is not saying anything particularly controversial. It's just kind of throwing a softball and we're like, yeah, of course, anyone can be an artist. I really like that because the movie, uh, the first time we hear that is Gusto saying anyone can cook and Anton Ego in in old ad saying, you know, while Gusto believes that, I don't because it's ridiculous. And then Anton Ego changes his mind a little bit over the course of the movie. I do wonder if after reading Anton Ego's last review, Gusto would say, 
No. You still don't get it. You still don't get it. Anyone can cook. Mm-hmm. Anyone can create art. Yeah. I can I I kind of think that's that is true. That's what the, the ghost of Gusto would say. Oh, I like the ghost of Gusto. Cool dude. I like the way the movie articulates that theme. I like that, you know, we hear it, they say it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and we see that because we are with Remy, the unlikeliest protagonist, the unlikeliest cook, literally the rat in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and seeing the artistry that Remy makes. It's it's I really, really love it. I think it is really interesting to feel like a movie is so tight. It's very connected. It's very uh, well done. And also to have some things that you really disagree with in it mm-hmm. and to hold both of those ideas in your head. And how does that impact your enjoyment of the movie? And that's the joy of art criticism, to engage with it. It's really fun. And it's a really fun way to think about art and creativity and how we think about that. Thanks for listening. If you liked this podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. We will see you next week for Wally.